Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real-life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents if you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Alison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here with comic, actress, writer, host of the Cool Playlist podcast, Eliza Skinner. Hello and welcome. Hi. You are former head writer of Drop the Mic. You worked, you wrote on Late Late Show with James Corden, Adam Ruins Everything, Totally Biased. You were just the head writer on the John Legend Christmas special. Mm -hmm. You do stand up all around town. Mm -hmm. You do one woman shows, do you not? I uh, I have in the past, yes, yeah. How how do those go? That sounds sort of scary. Um, well, it depends on the type. Well, they all go fun, go well. Um, my first, my big like of official most uh, standard one woman show, one woman show was about ten years ago now. Um, it was called Shameless, and it was three different characters. Um three monologues from three different characters and each one of them was moving uh, differently through time. One was each one was each monologue was about um, eight years ahead or eight years back. I'm sorry. Um, one was uh, every th- was a month ahead each monologue and one was all happening in, in one night and all three of the women were terrible people, irredeemably bad. I was trying to play with the audience to see could I make them like someone who was bad? Not like excuse away the badness, mm-hmm. but e- even though you know they're terrible, you kind of kind of have some affection for them, which I think is uh, what all media has done for the last 10 years. Also, <laughs> like clearly a lot right. of people were thinking in that direction, mm-hmm. kind of anti-hero sort right. of stuff. But I think it is, or what it's, it seems that it's harder to make an audience like a bad female character. True, yeah. Because everyone likes Walter White. Yeah. Uh, people hated Skylar, although yep. she wasn't even bad. Nope. I'm talking about Breaking Bad for anyone who's like, who are these people? Probably everyone knows. Um, so did you find that the audience liked your irredeemable characters? Yeah, I think they did, you know, to different degrees and um, uh, in different ways. But I, I think that they did. Um, what was really cool about it was when people would come up to me afterwards and say the part that they liked, it was usually something different. And I decided that 
that was that that was a good sign that if everybody comes up to you and says the same thing was their favorite part, well, that was the good part. Right. But if something different connects with different people, then like, oh, okay, you're doing a whole lot of different things and it can connect with different people in different ways. And in what ways were these characters bad? Um, one was, uh, <laughs> one was a racist. Uh, one was... So timely before it's time. Yeah. Um, she was, yeah, and she was a very specific type of white lady racist, like a um, a casual, um, I, I would, like, you could almost call her ra- race hyper aware, like the kind of person who, uh, if they're talking to a black person, they're constantly thinking, I'm talking to a black person, mm. this is a black person, I'm talking mm-hmm. to a black person. Um, and just very overbearing. There was this mother who was... Um, kind of awful to her daughter. Um, the other one was a, uh, she starts off as a, just like throwing around some homophobic slurs. So we don't like her. And she was one of those girls who, there's this thing that I think a lot of people do, um, male and female. Uh, now it's termed negging, where <laughs> they try to make friends and create a bond and be affectionate by being nasty. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. So we know negging with men, but the I think the girl version is, why are you so stupid? You're being an idiot. <laughs> Do people even like you? You're stupid. Oh, my God. None of your friends like you. I'm kidding. Whatever. Let's get drinks. Oh, um, so is that. And I, I, had seen, <laughs> I had seen girls like that interact with some m- male comedy friends of mine. And the, those guys were like, my friend of mine would, would tour with a, the UCB Torco and I remember one time when he came back, I was like, hey, how uh, how was the tour? And he was like, fine. Or do, there were all the, I was like, any cute college girls? Because um, we were young and that was, in, that was appropriate. And he was like, yeah, but they all like the the hot guy. They're, none of them are, are, they're mean to me. And I was like, what do you mean me? mean? And he was like, well, like this one girl was like, why are you even here? You're stupid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that, I, I think she was probably flirting with you. That's that, that's a terrible way of flirting. But yeah. that, and then I started thinking about it and being like, oh my gosh, those girls must go home and be like, how come nobody liked me? I mean, besides the times when they go home with some drunk guy and, right. and it works out. But like, the, like, I wonder if they have this question mark where they're like, but I'm, I was being so fun and I was talking to everybody, but nobody likes me. Why don't they like me? Like, I think they probably miss it. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I was kind of trying to play with that, with that like loneliness of a girl like that. And uh, the other one was a pedophile. So it was a, a woman who had who was turning 30 and she picked up a 13-year-old lacrosse player. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as I said, none of it was like excusing these things and being right. like, oh, see, it's not so bad. It's like, even though you know these terrible things, there's some part of, there's aspects of them that can connect with you and mm. hopefully will freak you out and make you feel really different things. And like, Oh, I don't want like, I mean, also obviously I think the a big takeaway or big connection was like Lolita, like reading Lolita and being like, Oh, this poor guy, wait a minute. No, <laughs> right. Why am I thinking that? That's a terrible thing to be thinking. <laughs> um, but that's how the, how the book creeps on you. I was just thinking of rereading Lolita recently i was thinking especially now as a parent like what i mm. i in this time and also as a parent would i read it differently because i read it um i don't know if i was in high school the first time i read it but i i was an english major and so i read it in a like appreciation of literature language mm. kind yeah. of way Scene not painting mm. yes not in a like 
he's talking about a sexual relationship with a she's 13 right something like that or 12 yeah yeah but she seduced him i'm yeah. kidding <laughs> but yeah, that is kind thing, of right? how it's uh anyway anyway okay i know you're from virginia i am right um tell me about your upbringing <laughs> um well, I was born a small cat. Um, <laughs> wow, you've you've really changed. Yeah, I've come a long way. Um, nine lives, you know, <laughs> a lot of chances. Um, I, I'm from Richmond, Virginia, which is an interesting town in that it's got a really big art school in the middle of it. And it's not a school that I think is well known for being a big art school, but it, they got this big funding at some point and so they have tons of resources um and like all these studios and great teachers and so because of that um a lot of people will move to richmond get these art degrees and then kind of stick around because it's also an affordable place to live i mean you could rent at least when i was a kid and i was coming up you could rent a whole house and then have your job be a fry cook someplace and then also have a band on the side that play that rehearses in the basement and there aren't a whole lot of places where I think that's Mm-mm. possible. Um, I think it's the dream of Austin, but I doubt yeah, it's the reality. Exactly. Or maybe it was at some point. And maybe, you know, I haven't lived in Richmond for a while, so it made that may right. not be feasible there either. But um, at the time, that, that meant that there were like lots of, there was a good arts community um, and lots of like galleries and theater and music. So uh, I got exposed to a lot of that stuff. I was a weird kid. I think all kids are weird, but I really was a, uh, an oddball weirdo. Like um, how? Well, my parents are, I would say like that my, my parents were sort of NPR people mm-hmm. and were um, a little bit critical about the type of content that my sister and I watched or were exposed to. So they, they didn't like pop culture very much. Which... Now, were they overtly critical or were they like my dad who was like really prized himself Praise, prized himself? Pri- was proud of himself. <laughs> I've lost the ability to speak. <laughs> but anyway, no, he way. was very proud of what he thought he raised us where like, you can make your own opinions about everything. You know, you can believe anything you want. I would never tell you what to think or believe. However, he had so many opinions about everything and was so kind of larger than life that it left us like a very narrow passage to go through. Um, and, and But it was like very... It was not overt. He wasn't telling us, you know, you shouldn't like this, you shouldn't like that. However, he was espousing his judgments all the time, so we just soaked it up. Um, yeah, it, it was that plus a little bit of overt stuff. Okay. Like I, and I also remember even more of it hearing how they would talk to my sister. Mm. Is she um, older or younger? She's older. She's like 10 years older. So uh, it was a lot of me in a car seat in the back seat being like, uh-huh, okay, got it. So we hate Madonna, mm. uh, but we like Cindy Lauper. Now, why is that? Um. And uh, I remember that we had season tickets to this series at the local museum uh, that was a performance art thing. So I would, as a kid, go see a lot of performance art. And so I decided, well, that's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be a performance artist. Uh, I also did a lot of theater. Again, my sister is older than me, but she's an actress. So mm-hmm. when she was a teenager in shows, those the people making those, the directors, whatever, the theaters would be like, oh, we need a little kid. Isn't there another Skinner? I'll yeah, bring her in. Put yes, her you in were in Evita. I was, yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> one, one of, of my bios is, uh, I started my career as a child revolutionary in Evita. I um, love Evita. Me too. I, I, I the, the, the 
The Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, Tim Rice collaborations. Yes. They're good. Jesus Christ Superstar. They're good. Super into all of it. Yeah. I did see Starlight Express. I don't remember it much. Uh, I don't believe that's Tim Rice. Right. Um, but uh, it is one of my favorite musicals because I saw it as a kid and it is kind of burned into my brain because it's so weird. And mm-hmm. I saw the London production, which was a lot heavier on uh, the racial aspect of it, where they had like this, all the steam trains were black Mm. and all of the other trains were white. And the whole, the whole thread of it, like the love story of it is the, the engines have to find passenger trains. This is so stupid to race with them. So each engine has to have one passenger train or pull one car basically to, to be in these races that are very important to them. And one of the steam trains has, uh, is in love with and wants to race with this passenger car, uh, named Pearl. (laughs) And she's like, we can't, we can't be together. And he's like, why? And she's like, you know why? <laughs> and as a kid, I was like, yeah, no, wait, but why? I Someone be clear with me in these this train love story. <laughs> um, and it's crazy to me that, that it even happened. And they ended up changing, shifting the show around and like taking out a lot of those aspects, mm-hmm. especially when they brought it to America. Um, but yeah, I uh, it, it, it's a really weird show. show. I need to revisit it because I really, I think you I was really too young. probably don't. It's bad. It's not. Okay. But it, but it's so weird. Like also one of the things that um, Andrew Lloyd Webber does when he's left to his own devices is put a greaser character in like everything. Mm-hmm. Like that's his hyper-masculine cool guy. Um, and so it's the Rum Tum Tugger in Cats. <laughs> and it's this character named Greaseball in uh, Starlight Express who I had... I had a huge crush on both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also a weird way to to start seeing the world. Like, oh, who do I have a crush on? Well, there's this train and this cat. <laughs> and they both seem to want to fuck. So <laughs> I'm into it. Um, yeah, there, there's a parody song of D-I-V-O-R-C-E, or kind of a parody song, called U-N-C-O-U-P-L-E-D in the show. It's so weird. And they're on skates the whole time. They're Wait, on roller actually, skates. My brain can't figure out what that spells. Uncoupled. Oh, oh. Because they're the oh, train just like cars. Or... Gwyneth and Chris. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very weird one. So Okay, so your sister was acting and then you, by virtue of being younger and related, began acting as well? Yeah. Um, and I was always, I don't know if I fell into odd things or it was just what as I said, I was a little kid who wanted to be a performance artist. I, I, I did weird things. So like one of the first things I did was um, I, I read all the stage directions for a staged reading of a play about um, Nikolai Gogol's The Nose. Like how how am I accessible at <laughs> yeah. all to anyone? I'm like the least relatable person. Did you have friends? I did. That sounds like, I'm sorry. No, that, that like such is an insulting question. I just, that is it. fair. Okay. Cause it was a <laughs> small number. Um, I, I had a friend, uh, I had a best friend who we were the, one of those like friendships that people would like run our names together. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also a weirdo with an older sibling. And I think that's key also having yeah. o- older siblings. Um, her older brother was really into horror movies. So that was also important and informative for me that like, that's where I started watching, um, bad horror movies, which my parents were appalled by. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, and I, I, you know, I did a, did a lot of like gifted and talented classes and that stuff. But I was also friends with adults for mm-hmm. a lot of my 
childhood. Um, a lot of theater adults, which are weird adults to be friends with. Like, it's not like the most stable crowd, right? you know, like a local theater scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. Too many people like, are you sure you don't want to drink? I'm 11. Are you? Okay. Yeah. But I mean, we're cool. We're cool friends. We're cool adults. Like, <laughs> but yeah. Did you drink young? No, not really. Um, I was also very much a rule follower mm. um, and easily part of my um, imagination was uh, uh, f- was fear-based and like, well, God, well, if I drink, I mean, what could happen? Mm-hmm. I would end up dead, obviously, in- instantly. Um, and uh, I think a lot of my adult life has been me purposefully trying to work against fear because of that, because it mm-hmm. was such a motivator when I was a kid. Do you... How do you feel like you're doing with that nowadays? Um, hmm, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have said great. But politically, like once the once our our country like shifted into this new era, it's <laughs> this new been, dystopia, this new yeah, fascism, yeah. Like I feel like there's like usually you know it takes a little time to process the fears, and I feel like now they're getting like heaped on mm-hmm. daily. Like oh, here's another thing to be concerned about. Here's another thing to be worried about. Um, so, so I don't know at this point, it's a, I have a different relationship with it now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, so did you want to be an actress? Was that your first, like the ambition? Um, that was one of the ambitions. Yeah. I remember when I was in kindergarten, we had, um, career day and we're supposed to come dressed like what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I, to be totally honest, had completely forgotten about it. Mm. Um, and most of my, um, most of the other kids in my class were dressed in like smocks because they wanted to be artists or uh, lab coats because they wanted to be doctors. I went to an all girl school at this point. Um, and so my kindergarten teacher asked me why I wasn't dressed up or what I wanted to be. And I was like, Oh, I couldn't dress up like what I wanted to be because I didn't have it because I want to be a rock star. <laughs> and she was like, okay. And, um, and at recess I stayed inside with her and she laid out all this paper and cover we covered it in glue and then we covered the that in glitter and she made me a skirt and a microphone with it and so I got to stand on the table and be a rock star <laughs> um and I also wanted to be a comedian I have a lot of tape of me as a child telling jokes that I did not understand but I liked the rhythm of a joke mm. and the shape of it uh and I liked wordplay and and making people laugh and I think that that is pretty much where I have landed mm-hmm. like music and comedy. Um, it's still what I do. And in terms of music when you were young, was it singing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I took piano, but I hated practicing. So I never got good at it, but it was singing. It was making up songs. Like, Did your parents encourage all the, the art stuff? No, no. They were, I think very scared about it because of my sister. Cause my sister was so far ahead. She's already down that road. And it was clear that acting was, what she wanted to do and the only thing that she put effort into, I mean, mm-hmm. she put effort, but like that was really, it wasn't like this or that. It was only that for her. And was it TV film acting that she wanted to do? No, Broadway musical theater. And she still, she is, she's a musical theater actress. That's so cool. Um, but I think because of that, my parents were like, Oh God, we can't have two kids that are uh, like that, that are artists that have, that we're not sure about their future. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to do something. So they really wanted me to be a lawyer. Um, and I will say that I, when I was like, I want to be an actress, I want to be an actress. I love it. I love being on stage. My dad was like, you, you should be a, you're a director. And I was like, no, I'm an actress. Um, and my mom was like, you're a writer. 
And I hate that I think both of them are right. I mean, I do like acting, mm-hmm. but I always like it on my own terms. Mm-hmm. And being an actual actor professionally, you're not doing it on your own terms. Right. You're doing what other people want. As a writer, I can absolutely be a soldier for someone else and be like, what do, what's the battle plan? What do we need to get done? Fine, I'll write that for you, even if it's not what I really want to write. Mm-hmm. As an actor, I have a real hard time with that. Um, Why? Because it's my face, because it's me. And also because as a woman, usually what I'm being asked to do, especially when I was younger, is really sexualize myself a Mm. lot more than I'm comfortable with um, in that kind of a space. Like, I'm like, I don't want to, yeah, all the parts were always like sexy. um, And yeah, I just, it, it felt like, giving that to someone else. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to own that part of me. Did, was it like they were, did it have to do with the clothing they were putting you in the situations they were putting you in? Or was it, and this is just my own story. I I auditioned for something and then they're like, that was great. Can you do it more like, but make it more sexy. And I literally did not know how to do that. Like I still don't understand how to do that. And so I just did it again, but like, in a lower register. <laughs> like I really well, literally don't know how to make it more sexy. I, th- I think that's, I think that's a really interesting question with a point that like I, so much of like men think that we're doing so- the things that they find yes. sexy or something we're doing to them on purpose. I wrote that this essay. Yeah. I wrote this essay a few months ago, maybe a year ago called, um, I, I didn't put my tits on for you mm-hmm. that I feel like sometimes I get this feeling from people that they're like, that like my shape alone and what I look like is something I'm you do that I did to try to manipulate them. Mm-hmm. Like this is just, these are the boobs that I, that were all here when I woke up right. and when I went to bed last night, they're not there for you. This is just what I had to put clothes on top of to get to work. <laughs> it's very weird, but they're like, Oh yeah. And I think uh, f- for whatever about me, whether it's the way that I look or some energy about me, um, projected more se- like as like a sexy girl like mm-hmm. and I would say I think that's true for all women but I also have friends who I know were like the good girl or right. the girl next door and that everybody would treat a little bit but me I was like ah, oh, she's like the the vixen yeah exactly and I'm like really because that's not how I feel inside um and so yeah just like that like I don't know what you're asking for when mm-hmm. you just say be sexy like do you mean lower register do you mean more movement do you mean like what what are or less movement like what are you i still don't know what they meant i think they wanted they to get boners watching me. yes that's what they that's what they meant yeah um and they think that what you were that what was giving them a half chub <laughs> you were doing on purpose right so i could just like so dial like, it yeah, up do more of that yeah. which like what are you talking about um i i remember when i was in college i um i did an and i went to i skipped two grades so i was like 16 at this time um i did a scene and it was a comedic scene i it, it was like an uh edward alby or like christopher durang like some like absurdist um scene and at the end of it uh my teacher i, I did the scene with a scene partner and he was like rohit you can sit down eliza stay up there um and gave me this like s- kind of speech about like you need to you're a very sexual person in front of the whole class. This is when you were in college? Yeah. You're a very sexual person. Mm-hmm. You need to own that and be comfortable with it um, because you're so, you're, I mean, look at you, you're so sexual. And I'm like, I've literally like kissed one person. <laughs> like I'm not so sexual. Right. I don't know what you are. Yeah. You are so sexual, strange man. <laughs> um, and he ended up being a little creepy with me also. But, and then, uh, 
my second story answer to your question is there was this MTV show um, when I was in New York that didn't go anywhere and nobody knows about it. Um, it was a prank show and I was auditioning for it and all the breakdowns for the female characters, I'm sure this will sound familiar, were super sexy, super sexy, super sexy. Uh, she's an art dealer, but she's super sexy. Mm-hmm. She's a pizza delivery, super sexy. But also on top of that, and then she takes off her clothes and she's wearing a bikini. Mm. And then she takes off her clothes and she's just in a bra and panties. I auditioned for the one part that didn't have to take her clothes off. And she was supposed to be in a uh, panda suit, <laughs> like a mascot. Like that was the level to that you would have clothes on. Right. If you weren't going to take them off, mm-hmm. you're in a panda suit. <laughs> and I booked it. And I get to set and they're like, okay, so here's your panda suit. Uh, there's the head. And here's the bra and panties for when you take it off and you're just wearing this underneath <laughs> it. And I was like, What? <clears throat> And they were like, what? And I was like, I'm not going to do that. They told me I, that's yeah. not part of what I, no one said anything about that. And they were like, well, you have to talk to the director. And I went to the director and was like, yeah, they didn't tell me anything about this. I'm not going to do this. And he was like, right. Okay. Well, what, what, um, what's your solution? What, what, fine. I get it. I didn't tell you that. Okay, fine. That's on me. What's your solution? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, that I don't take it off, that I just like, tie the top like i'll i could wear a tank top underneath and like tie the arms around my waist and take the head off so i'm still wearing the the pants and he's like fine and it was me and a bunch of literal models they had hired so i'm like why'd you hire a comedian right if you just wanted sexy girls but uh that was that was a little demoralized yeah (laughs) um but that yeah they they just they think we're doing something on purpose that's interesting. I never, I never quite thought of it that way, but I think you're totally right. Um, all this talk about all these memories <laughs> makes me think, wouldn't it be great to take one of these scenes, if you have a photo of it, and, and blow it up on a canvas so you can look at it forever? I well, am telling you about canvas people, uh, and that was a silly segue. But anyway, <laughs> holidays are coming up. You want to buy a great gift for someone or yourself Check out Canvas People. They print your favorite memories on Canvas and turn them into unique works of art that add a beautiful touch to your home. My husband and I did this um, with some of our wedding photos and some beautiful portraits of our dogs. <laughs> but we have these big Canvas uh, canvas portraits now, and they're beautiful. And it just it's like... It's more a work of art than just a photo. It's a cool way to turn photos of your family into art for the wall. Uh, and... With Canvas People, you get your favorite memories printed to cherish and beautiful prints that look great on any wall. Class it up, people. Print them on Canvas. As a special, very limited holiday offer, Canvas People is offering their popular 11 by 14 photo canvases for free. That's right, free. These normally sell for $69.99, but for this week only, you'll pay nothing. Just cover shipping and handling. To get your free canvas, Text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 797979. Just pay shipping and handling. This offer won't last. Text Allison to 797979. That's Allison to 797979. Message and data rates may apply. Okay. So where did you go to college? At James Madison. Is that in Virginia? Mm-hmm. And how was that? It was good. Yeah, it was fine. And then after college, where did you go? I went to England for a little while, and then I went to New York, um, and then I came here. And what would you do in England? I was a an office manager and uh, graphic designer for a maintenance company. Um, because my my dad is uh, 
from he's my dad is British. And so I had dual citizenship. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, that's where I'm going to live. But I did not know anyone in the entire country, Mm. literally. So like I, now I'm, I can't believe that I was, that I would do that. Like it seems way braver than something I would do (laughs) and kind of dumb. Um, and again, we like, we're kind of talking before we started, but like, there was no internet really. I mean, there was like, you know, like whatever those, um, those like angel fire, websites those oh yeah are like terror like right. there were websites but people didn't use them the way that they're they use no, them now you couldn't really access information unless you had three hours yeah or even if you did like information didn't lead to more information like you had to you used the internet by saying like i want to find this right uh, there we go i found it right um you couldn't just be like what's some stuff what do <laughs> i need to know about this yeah. place what are things i didn't even know that i needed to know um and so I, I I moved to England and I lived there for, you know, about a year. Um, and I would go out and try to make friends and meet people. And like in pubs? Mm-hmm. And they would hear my accent and be like, ugh, go home and tell your president to stop fucking up the whole world. And I was like, <laughs> fair, fair, yeah, got it. Um, so eventually I was like, okay, I've got tons of friends back in this other country that is slightly more affordable Mm -hmm. to live in i'm gonna go back so i did and so then you went to new york Mm -hmm. and um what did you do in new york i worked in hotels i started doing improv again because i'd done improv in college but uh i worked as a concierge in a couple hotels and um that was a great job i assume it does not really exist anymore again the internet (laughs) um but then uh while i was doing that i was like this is crazy that i'm living in one of the most expensive places in the world and working at a hotel. Like I could work in a hotel literally anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world. Uh, I have to do something that I can only do here. So I was like, well, what's that? And I remembered that I had liked improv in college. So I looked up some improv theaters and took a class and auditioned for a touring company and started working pretty, pretty quickly. And was that UCB? It was originally, it was initially another theater, um, this horrible place called (laughs) Chicago City Limits that I think does not even exist anymore. And then from there, I met people who were performing at UCB. And I had seen UCB, you know, like I'd seen the TV show and I'd seen them perform before. So um, yeah, I I started doing a show there. I, because of my musical theater background, um, I always did musical improv before I even knew that it was a thing. I would just start doing like start singing and doing music and making up songs. And when I moved, when I started working in New York, they would have accompanists and we would actually improvise full musicals with like plots and everything. That's so cool. Yeah. So I had, I had a, um, uh, an, uh, an ability with it. Like, I, what's the word? I had not an affinity. I, um, I was good at it. Mm-hmm. I was easily good at it. And so people, a talent for it. Yeah, I guess. So people started putting me on those kind of shows. So I, uh, I was on a, I, I met people at Chicago city limits. Aptitude. That, is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it. Who put me into a show at the UCB. And so I was, um, on stage there pretty easily once again, doing that. Okay. So, so you're, were you still working in hotels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of that. I mean, the touring paid, but not very much. And uh, the other stuff didn't. Like, improv is not a job. It's a hobby. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you started writing for television. Was that out here or was (laughs) that... That was out here. Okay. That was Twitter. That was... Really? Yeah. um, Well, because all of the improv stuff and all my performing, the reaction that I got a lot from audiences were great and nice, but a lot of the people who were like in charge of theaters and in charge of different projects thought that, um, 
that I was that the success that I had was because I could sing and audiences liked that and it wasn't smart of the audiences to like that or because I was pretty and so someone was trying to fuck me. Wait, who thought this? Most of the people who were in charge of like most of the gatekeepers. Okay. Um, or maybe not most, a lot of them. But with Twitter, none of that stuff applied. Mm. It didn't matter what you looked like. It didn't matter. Like you could sing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that, that's a pretty just me thing. But I think this is true for a lot of women. Suddenly it was just words on a page or mm. on a screen. And you are they funny or are they not funny? And the funny kind of rose to the top and people started noticing, oh, the, these these women are legit making jokes, um, whether I want to fuck them or not. And uh, that, so people noticed my stuff on Twitter and started recommending me for jobs. That's really cool. Yeah. Some of them, people who wouldn't have recommended me for stuff like a year before mm-hmm. um, were like, oh, I your stuff is really funny. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've been doing that. And then... Okay, well, so let's finish out the New York period of your life, and then then we'll move to LA. So you're in New York doing improv. Anything else? Not that that's not enough. Uh, no, but, yeah, I started yeah. with improv, and then I moved to um, then I moved to sketch, and then I moved to solo shows, and then I moved to um, stand up. A progression of having to to um, deal with fewer schedules and fewer wigs. Um, not there's like wigs and props with improv, but with stand up. I just have to be free. I don't have to make sure anybody else is free. I don't have to bring a bag of props. Um, and so that was a, a great place to land. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is so much easier. And I can still just be funny. And now, how do you feel about like stand-up versus improv? I still prefer stand-up. I think improv is a lot more generally accepted now than it was. Um, but stand-up is, there's more work in it and there's more payoff too you can craft a joke you have to learn how to like get better with an audience it's just you so your successes are your own and your failures are your own you still have community in the the other stand-ups that you're doing shows with um but i i think it's uh it i i I prefer it um and i like being improvisational with my stand-up I think that's always going to be an aspect mm-hmm. of the, the stuff that I do. But yeah, I, um, I I like being able to take an idea and make it better instead of just throwing it down a well, which is kind of what improv started feeling <laughs> like to me. Like, well, that was funny and no one will ever see it. And I won't feel good about ever saying it again because that'll feel like it's violating some improv rule. Right. You moved to L.A. in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you decide to move to L.A.? Work. There was only a couple of shows in New York and they all already knew me and knew about me and they had given me the bit parts that they could um, and not hired me as writers. What shows were those? I was like, um, I guess Conan had just left. There was like SNL, Mm -hmm. Letterman, I think like Ugly Betty. Oh, right. Was there? Was 30 Rock still going? Yes, 30 Rock. Yeah. I think that's about, those, those are the ones that like, were in the mix mostly. Mm-hmm. So the things I was auditioning for um, or submitting for more often auditioning for were all in California and all, and it was clear all the work was here. Um, now I think there's more work there in other places, um, but still this is where most of the work is. And even mm-hmm. if you're not, even if you don't have like a big job, there's 
always stuff. Yeah. You know, there's web series, there's commercial, there's promos, there's just like, you can survive here. Whereas there, I always had to have some sort of day job or another. Mm. It did. I don't know if this is just my, my view, like the, if this just coincided with the timing of my move, but it did feel like there was a lot more opportunity in New York and then it kind of like all moved to California. Yeah. Right. Doesn't yeah. it, seem, it feels like everyone, so many people left New York. Yeah. I mean, I felt like the, a little bit of it was opportunity and then leaving, but I think it was also a shift of people realizing like, Oh, we're grown ups. We're supposed to be working and we're kind of treating a lot of this like summer camp, mm-hmm. like where we'll have jobs during the day that break our backs so that we can go out with accordions at night and, make artsy weird stuff and i love the artsy weird stuff but there's got to be a way for that to all be part of one career right um and for that to pay the bills or Um, something (laughs) (laughs) so how did you like la when you got out here i loved it i'd also gotten kind of tired of new york and as far as how um uh, i felt like it New York is, it's a difficult place to live. And so people carry around frustration and anger um, that they're acquiring all day as they bump into different people or miss subways and whatever, and I include myself. And so by the time I would get to work, me and everyone around me would have these little storm clouds of, <laughs> of like frustration and anger. And then that's where you're, that's how you're living for the whole rest of the day. And I think that part of that, that that partly um, confuses productivity because you'll feel like you have gotten something done by surviving a day. And did you really? Or was it the things that you wanted to get done? Or was it, no, I returned that sweater. Totally. I bought groceries. Yeah. I took the subway. Yeah. And I got them all home in one bag. Like, so I was, uh, so coming out here, A, people were just pleasant. And so it felt like there was a little bit of space and room to breathe and room for your ideas and brain to Mm -hmm. relax and breathe a little bit. Um, And it also felt like because of that space, you could feel it when you were doing things and when you weren't doing things, which felt a little like a free fall in some ways, but also felt like, Oh, I need to learn how to motivate myself and have and, and and make things Mm -hmm. instead of just do whatever, catch things that come flying. Right. Instead of just survive. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I um I miss New York a lot, but especially I lived in Brooklyn at the end, mm-hmm. and I I yeah, really I lived miss in Queens, it. so easy, la- easy, easy, <laughs> easy leave. to go. Yeah, yeah, I miss it a lot, but I do feel like it's easier to have a balanced life mm-hmm. out here. Um, for for me at least, like there, it was just all I did was sort of pace around my apartment, thinking about my career, mm-hmm. and here, you know, I I don't know, it's it's. And sort of have a whole life. Also, it feels like there, at least at that time, again, I haven't lived there for a while. Um, the there's such a class divide, so if the the trying to knock on the doors that you need to knock on to do things is feels impossible, and it feels like the city is even situated to show you that. Like, look at how big this building is. <laughs> yeah, look at these doormen. You don't come in here. And so I was like, oh, how am I ever going to do that? Right. Whereas here, it's like, ah, oh, they're at Whole Foods. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Didn't I just run into a producer at uh, Sweet Green? Like, whatever. Like, it it doesn't feel like it's impossible. It is weird though, because I I um 
did like various commentary on different news stations and stuff and everything there. It's like this big imposing sky rise and Mm -hmm. security and just a whole thing. And then I would come out and do appearances out here. And it's like in this little unassuming building. That's one story that you wouldn't realize is a production place. Yep. Exactly. I also really liked that. I felt like people believe in dreams here. Um, Like, in New York, when I would tell somebody that I was a comedian, they'd be like, okay, so where do you bartend? Um, and out here, when I would tell people I was a comedian, they'd be like, oh, great, cool. I believe it. Or like if, that I was a writer. Oh, I'm me too. I'm doing right. this thing. It was no like, good luck with your dream that's never going to come true. Right, like less cynicism. Less cynicism. And also like, they're right. It does come true. Like, it's not crazy to think that you would be successful at those things here a lot of people are Mm -hmm. so why not also i think there's a thing both in creativity and just in the woohoo-ness of la that everyone that people allow other people to have weird ideas dreams whatever so that they can too Mm -hmm. kind of like all right uh, i'm gonna respect your need to chew on crystals (laughs) so that I can expect you to respect my need to only wear green. Uh-huh. Like those, <laughs> and we'll, we'll leave space for each other. Yeah. And like, I'll respect your, you're going to have a career doing uh, knock, knock jokes for puppets <laughs> and you'll respect my, uh, I'm writing a whole movie that only has one word of dialogue. Like, <laughs> sure. Fine. It's all gonna, it all works. It all works. Are you into the woohoo-ness at all? Do you have crystals? I don't. Uh, Nor I, do I. I, I, I want to say no, but I'm sure somebody would be like, well, wait, but what about that? That counts. And be like, oh, okay. I, um, I, yeah, I'm not into, I don't think any of that stuff. I'm pretty skeptical about things, mm-hmm. but I also respect that it, the placebo effect of it, that it makes people feel what they need to feel to do the things they need to do. Right. What bums me out is like, I had a friend who one time was like, yeah, I'm really having a hard time with money, but I just, um, bought this uh crystal that's gonna help it's like i mean it was like a 60 dollar crystal so it better work and i'm like oh no i'm so mad at whoever sold that to you or told you that right because they knew why you were buying it yeah that's the that's really taking advantage of people um but besides that if you have whatever that's gonna put enough wind in your sails to get to the thing you're trying to get to i don't need to think that it's real if you think it's real great right Agreed. Um, and now here's an awkward segue. <laughs> and I, that, that awkward, me saying here's an awkward segue, that was the segue. For any smokers out there trying to quit, or if you know someone who is, there's a revo- revolutionary new way to quit called Zero. Zero's Quit Kit is a new quitting solution proven to increase your chances of kicking the habit up to four times compared to going cold turkey. The Zero Quit Kit is a three-tiered approach that includes prescription medication, nicotine gum, and continued support through a mobile app. Here's how it works. Go to quitwithzero.com to start your online doctor visit. After your five-minute visit, a physician will then determine if you're eligible to use the Quit Kit. If you're eligible, the doctor will prescribe your medication and the Quit Kit will be shipped directly to your door. Zero costs less than what the average smoker spends on cigarettes and less <clears throat> than other quitting options. And by the way, I used to be a smoker many years ago, uh, and I know how expensive cigarettes were then. I can't imagine the fortune that they must cost you now. So if for no other, if your health is not a good enough reason, and I think your health is a good enough reason to quit, 
Do it for the money. Go to quitwithzero.com slash best friend. And for a limited time, my listeners can get their first month of the quit kit to stop smoking for just $37. That's quitwithzero.com slash best friend. Quitwithzero.com slash best friend. Okay, so you move out to LA. You're hilarious on Twitter. People are recommending you for TV jobs. Um, so you're, and then did you start with the Late Late Show? Was that your first? No, no, no. Oh, no, I, I started with Fashion Police. Oh, I remember that show. Yeah. How was that? It was, uh, it, it was great and it was tough. Uh, <clears throat> that I, was with Joan Rivers at the time, yeah. right? So, like, the first day was sitting at a big table, um, and pitching jokes to Joan Rivers, which was, yeah, it was really intimidating. But I guess I did a good enough job that they pulled me aside and were like, Joan wants you to stay because it was supposed to just be like a one day gig. Uh So then I worked so there. But and working for Joan was really fascinating and uh, an honor. But the situation was not great. And they um, we ended up having to go on strike because they were paying us so little as writers to write this show. And that became a whole thing. And like the strike was, that, was never resolved. Was that the writers organizing or was that a union thing? That was the, that was the, the WGA organized the staff because gotcha. they were like, this should be a union show. You guys are writing the amount of content that they, and E is, I don't know if they were a signatory. They were like owned by one, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, other e shows were union, and uh, they didn't want to do it. Joan didn't want to do it, which was disappointing. Mm-hmm. And it would just got to be kind of an ugly strike, and it never got resolved. And from there, though, I was sort of the the WJ kind of pushed me and another couple of the writers out as um, the the media talking people right for the face it. Of it. yeah the face of it and i think be, because of that plus my stand-up and other comedy videos and bits that i had done that like kind of showed that the things i was interested in i uh, got noticed by totally biased and they brought me out for a week of writing on that um and i did well enough on that week that they then offered me a job the next season as an on-air correspondent and writer so i went up back to new york and did that and then and that was when the show moved from nightly to from weekly to nightly, but it also moved from FX to FXX, mm. which made it very hard for the fans to find it. Most people didn't even know they had FXX at that. It was the very it was the first year there was FXX. Right. So did that. Uh, that show got canceled. Went on a short comedy tour. Came back here. Uh, started working for Funny or Die for a little while. Then I worked for Adam Ruins Everything, um, and then I went to the Late Late Show. So it was a while. So tell me about Cool Playlist. <laughs> okay. So on Cool Playlist, a guest and I, every episode, uh, a guest and I make a playlist for a specific life event, moment, or occasion. Uh, sometimes it's very silly and, you know, fantastical. Sometimes it's very relatable and down to earth. The first episode was uh, a goth wedding with April Richardson and... I've also done waiting in line for Broadway lottery tickets. Um, I just got new superpowers. What do I do with them? Hunting teens at a summer camp, first day in a cool new outfit. Do you come up with the the uh, event? 
with a playlist theme. Uh, I do. So I, I usually pitch the guest three or four to kind of give them an idea of the mm-hmm. scope, like here, but all kind of in areas that I think that they're already interested in. So I'm like, here's some silly ones. Here's some simple, yet relatable ones. It's funny the comedians, especially, all really want to do heartfelt, <laughs> personal ones. Mm-hmm. Like they're all like. My, my breakup or like walking <laughs> through the leaves on a winter day and I'm like okay all right um and so I, I try to push the weirder ones and also some of those as like a way into because they all end up being talking about your life and, right uh the things that matter to you and all that stuff because uh, i think music is very evocative and emotional and our relationship with music can be very intimate but also feel like something that you can share with other people because we all know the same songs. So yes, this one makes me feel this way, but oh my gosh, it makes you feel that way too. Mm. Or oh my gosh, it makes you feel that other way. That's interesting. Um, so I feel like it's a cool way to get to know people um, that I want to know more about and also share in- interesting things about songs that people already know or share songs that people might not know about. Mm. I try to promote new artists and um, uh, or slightly smaller indie things not just madonna and the rolling stones although they end up on there also (laughs) um but yeah i I, I i've had a lot of fun making it and i really like it and i'll have you plug it again at the end but um for people who who need to know right now where can they get it anywhere they get podcasts it's i believe on all of the things uh apple podcasts spotify um everything in between libsyn all that i Oh, and also, so we make this playlist and then we upload the playlist to Spotify so you can get the playlist also. Awesome. Yeah. Also, we should mention, because Jordan Morris is a friend of the show and frequent guest, you star in Bubble. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the characters mm-hmm. in Bubble. Who do you play? Um, Annie, I think her name is. It's been, it's been so long. I'm like, it's got a name. I'm also a little bit, if I got that wrong, I do believe it's Annie. Um, I'm doing my podcast later on today with uh, Allison Becker, who's oh, also on that. Very and cool. I'm, and I always, because it's two A names, I'm always like, it's not Allison. No, that's, she's Allison. I'm playing. <laughs> Wait, maybe it's Alex. Maybe it's Archie. You know, so <laughs> it sends me down a weird rabbit hole. You have such a good voice. Do you do a lot of VO? Thanks. Uh, I don't do a lot of it. I, I'm hoping to do more. I narrated a, a an audiobook for Audible that's very... Um, audio drama comedy ish. Like, there's a lot of different characters in it, and I'm just the narrator. Um, and I, I also did. I was the voice of the world of Coke for a while. Well, the, the, a character who was sort of guiding you through it. There was is that in Georgia? Yeah, in Atlanta. Um, you can still find the video on YouTube, but there was this very bizarre video that they made that was supposedly like what happens when you put a coin in a. Uh, coke machine it, like so you have somebody put in the coin and then on the inside this big coin r- rolls down the rolling hill and there's all these bizarre magical creatures that are that put together the coca-cola and w- they are sort of led by um this balladeer who's who was played by my friend uh julian villard who's a great musician and a cheerleader played by me who's like okay everybody come on let's do it are you guys ready to make some dreams come true uh-uh, no you there in the back come on <laughs> um and then Julian was on tour and went to the world of Coke and was like, and started call, like texting me and was like, dude, there are huge mascot costumes of us walking around of these characters that we did. Look. And she's just like taking pictures of himself with all of them. 
I'm like, well, that's weird, but that's what happens when you work for a corporate giant. <laughs> that's cool. What's the audio, the audible audiobook? It's not out yet. Uh, I, I believe it's like the, the pole vaulting championship of the universe. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to be. Everyone, keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so very exciting podcast news. We are bringing back a segment that we haven't done in a long time. This is an old segment called Topic Sombrero. People would write in and suggest topics that they wanted the guest and me to talk about. And then I would put them on a piece of paper and put them in a sombrero and we would pull them out of a sombrero. However, I could not find the sombrero. <laughs> But we do have a song, which you're about to hear. It's the Topic, Topic Sombrero. We asked for topics and you sent them in. It's the Topic, Topic Sombrero. Now pick a topic and let's begin. It's the Topic Sombrero. So I put them into this Mrs. Claus holiday cup. Very cute. Um, okay. So I'm going to hand you this cup. Okay. And uh, you're going to just pull one out and then we will discuss it. And these were sent. I recently found them. They were sent in years ago. Oh. Yeah. Exciting. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. These are lighthearted. Uh, what is love? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. What is love? If you'd like to choose another one, you can, or we could do what is love. Um, uh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Let me pick another one and see which one you want to do. Yeah. Okay. Oh gosh, this was two. Ah, how to separate the wheat from the chaff. chaff that's how you say that, right? Chaff yeah. equals people who will lead you on the road to destruction. So these are all like, like overall how to live your life. Mm-hmm. Deep questions, I guess. So I'm happy to do either of them just go for it choose one um how to separate the wheat from the chaff 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 i think it's chaff i want to say chaff um i think that it's very important to do that but i also think that it's important to do it without villainizing anybody i think Mm. it like all those articles about like toxic people that except for i don't know psychopaths there aren't toxic people right but there are people who bring out the worst in each other mm-hmm. who uh, don't, who aren't good fits. Um, and I think the way of separating that is to listen to your gut and to only keep people in your life who make you feel good and proud of yourself. That doesn't mean people who um, blow smoke up your ass, but you, do, I think, especially when you're young, I think a lot of us think we have to be friends with people who are not good to us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a weird thing. And it's a, 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 one of the best things about growing up is moving past that and being like, oh, I don't have to be friends with that person. Yeah. Taking and I don't have to the trash. Yeah. And I also don't have to hate them. Just like we're not. This isn't this isn't good for us. Mm-hmm. Good luck to you. I'm going to be over here. Right. You know. I have this pattern of dating guys who are bad for me, and I think that I always sort of pathologize them in my head. Like, these are bad guys. They're bad guys. And I look back on it, and it's like, no, it's just that... I mean, I'm sure some of them were. I know some of them were. (laughs) (laughs) But many of them, it's just that we weren't right together. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And maybe I wanted more out of the situation than was available to be given. And so I villainized them, which is a young person thing to do. Yeah. Um, Well, I also think with men and women with dating, uh, the patriarchy (laughs) and um, popular culture have given us such destructive messages about each other Mm -hmm. and about what's appropriate and about what's disgusting about ourselves and the other person. So that that's fully fraught and like like how do you mean like oh like like um like the guy should get the girl like like guys earn women by being nice Mm -hmm. and good that the idea that um andy should end up with ducky Mm. in pretty in pink really bothers me and i love ducky i would have ended up with ducky andy never wanted to fuck ducky right ever and i think a lot that kind of those kind of movies and messaging got into women's brains and were like this is come on you should be with this person even if they weren't actually who you wanted to be with Mm -hmm. for whatever reason be it that they're nice that they're funny that they're uh, that they're cute but like not the kind of cute that does it for your guts and butts um Like yes. the like should be, I or I should so... have, a, or I went out with this guy, so he should be my boyfriend instead of like, maybe it was just that. So much of my life has been spent trying to figure out the the conflict between sh- what I should be doing, what I think I should be do- I have such a strong should, mm-hmm. what I should versus like what I want to do. And the older I get, the more it's just, if I don't... If I don't feel it, if I don't want it, then regardless, that's kind of the end of the story. But it's hard for me to justify that because everything is about should, which is like such a a burden to carry around. Yeah. And it's like, should for who? For what? Like, who's benefiting from it? Yeah. Um, It's your life. At the end of the day, it's your life. And once it's gone it's gone. And I think in romantic relationships, the idea that you should be with someone because on paper they make sense and they're nice and they're, they're all the, all the the things that don't turn you on, but seem sensible and logical. If it's like saying, I don't deserve to be with someone that actually excites me. Well, yeah. And it's like saying, I don't deserve to be with someone who's excited by me. Yeah. Like for these guys, like, Hey, I put in all this work you should, I get you now. Right. Be entitled. Yeah. I'm like, well, there might be a girl down the street who you didn't put any work in, but she's got a huge boner, whatever girl. (laughs) She's got a, a a real, whatever. It's going to get gross. Um, for you, like, I I think it's really weird that these movies again and everything has taught men that like, if a woman is interested in them, that's disgusting. Right. They, it has to be something that they the value. Yeah. The valuable partner woman is one who wasn't interested in them. Right. And right. that's a bummer. Yeah. Like you should be able to feel like, oh yeah, of course she's into me because I'm a cool guy and I'm cute. Um, and they don't have that. Um, it's like they have to choose. Yeah. Have to have chosen. Yeah. So instead they slut shame women who... Pursue. Who, who pursue or or even express you can express an interest without pursuing um and they become uh and they they like you know hound women who aren't interested in them yeah and think they can change someone's mind like i've has anyone ever had their i don't know i i, I auditioned for this role one time and this guy this guy had written and he was like, so this is a girl who hooked up, you you hooked up with this character, and then 
you decide you didn't want to be with them. And so you're hanging out with them. But then later on in the series, you're going to be together. And I'm like, oh, okay, so she's attracted to him, but has decided not to pursue it. And he's like, no, 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 not into him at all. You don't like him at all. And I'm like, okay, so she doesn't really know him that well at this point. They're kind of getting to, like, they they were attracted to each other, but they're, but that was about it. And, they, and then they're getting to know each other. And he's like, no, 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 she knows him. She just, not, no. she liked him, then she doesn't like him, now she's going to like him again. I'm like, oh, that's not how humans work. <laughs> right. That's how you've experienced it on your side. Yes. You didn't know, but from the, being the actual person right. you there are emotional journeys and reasons for those things to happen yeah and it's like yeah the, all this stuff has just taught us the weirdest things about each mm-hmm. other that's so that's so interesting did you did you express that to him or no i was yeah. not in a position to express right that to him. <laughs> were, were i in a writer's room maybe i could have but as uh, an actor right for something no right um and i also think that like uh women are taught you're supposed to women are taught to be um or were maybe not anymore who knows, uh, to be aggressive, that it's the, the place to be aggressive and ambitious is in relationships. It's not in work. That's not, you know, we, we don't get that encouragement. Um, but uh, we can, what we are taught, okay, once you're on a date, make it to the second date, make it to mm-hmm. uh, exclusive, get uh, engaged, get married. And I think a lot of women uh, or, or either do or did do go down that path and then get to the marriage partner like oh wait did i want this yeah it's like oh man you should have been able to have a somebody should should have helped you have a small business <laughs> right you could have been crushing the game by now but that movie didn't come out that's like that's so- not what we get that's not the message that we that's not the princess story that we get i never thought about the fact that women are taught to be that way because i have lamented when i was younger i felt like i all my like persistence and risk taking and putting myself out there that I do in my personal life would be so much better served if I could put that into my career. Yeah. I literally have had that thought. Like, why am I, I'm willing to like, and men are taught the opposite. Yeah. Where they're taught to like, Oh, resist a women are going to try to tie you down. Like I try to, I, I try to play it so cool, which Go, looking back on it, I wish I like. I feel like that was a terrible thing to do. But I would try to play it cool in job interviews, and I wouldn't want to seem too eager and all this stuff. And it's like, no, that was the you know because I know as someone, if I'm hiring someone and they're like, go if they if they make it clear they really want to work with me, and here's why, I would they would rise to the top of the list versus the person who like could take it or leave it. Whereas I could, ne- I never was able to to. Um, communicate a take it or leave it attitude in relationships mm-hmm. where I would have been better served if I could. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, some of the, I've heard people talk about how like women aren't um, taught how to be competitive healthily because they don't get uh, sports oh. when they're kids. Like, they huh. like boys get that right. um, from baseball. And of course, all of the stuff I'm saying is like broad strokes. And yes, there are exceptions to right. all of these things. Um, I'm just saying like structurally in the stuff that a lot of us have grown up with. That's the way it kind of panned out. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, you're, you're the, where we put our worth also was so much about relationships. Totally. Um, and very often like kind of shamed if that's not like that's not your priority. That should be your priority or there's something cold and fucked up about you. Or right. Whatever. Right. Um, while, yeah, guys are given space to 
pursue careers and to be aggressive about that and to but they're also i think like kind of there there's all these messages about like you don't want to get tied down to a woman which like or a relationship which i think maybe made sense when we didn't know about birth control <laughs> and like we weren't sure who the farm was going to go to right but now like you can experiment and learn how to be emotionally attached to people without that you know being your energy being stolen from mm-hmm. you or mm-hmm. whatever um or it be, without it being seen it's like it's almost seen as like a feminine thing to want to be in a relationship i think to a lot of people or totally. was for a while yeah yeah i remember um just going back to the work stuff someone tweeted some famous guy i feel like it was a journalist tw- <laughs> this is gonna be so vague it's almost not worth saying and yet i i go forward um something about like a woman a, a prominent woman had been fired mm-hmm. and he said something like you know in talking to her that he realized that she got fired for asking for the things that men get without even having to ask yep yeah yeah i've had that happen yeah um because because you're seen as difficult well yeah and Not but, you, we're, but we're also well no me sometimes <laughs> um we're taught that or we're told that oh see women don't ask we need to get a lean in ladies get out there yeah. and ask but when we ask it's it's comes off very differently from women mm-hmm. it's seen it's it's seen as as um i don't know it's just distasteful to people right. when we demand recognition um or compensation whereas with men, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's of course. That's yeah, what right. it does. Right. Um, I had a job where I asked for, uh, where I was like, I'm making all of your, like, I, 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 I had earned a raise, and uh, I asked for it, and they gave it to me, and then fired me short, shortly after. Right. Um, and I, I was like, yeah, there's, there's, well, how do you win? Um, no, you get, you kind of do get punished for asking. I, I've shared this story on the podcast before. When I worked at a magazine, I found out that a colleague who had the same title as me, who I had brought to the magazine, um, same job title, was making like 15000 more than I was. And I had worked my way up there. And, you know, he came in at that. Hometown club. Yeah. But I, and I remember talking to him and him being like, look, it's not my, because I was, I was really upset when I found out. Sure. It's like, it's not my fault that I negotiated better. And that has always like in a way he's right but at the same time Mm-mm. it's not i don't know no he's not right he's okay. not right sorry that makes me mad and i hope that that is of an era that we are moving this is a long past. time ago yeah um although i, st- I think we've got a new type of uh anger at women you right know, but it's uh, out there floating around but that like dude but the that, thing is uh, you got the, it's don't gaslight us yeah i like, remember but i remember with any job I had in that day, in those days, feeling like when they made an, a salary offer, I was very nervous to counter it because I was afraid they'd be like, huh, fuck you. Or I don't, you know, which I don't think they would have, but I, I don't think women were maybe still, I, I don't know about now, but as a, as a woman, I was not comfortable negotiating for what I felt I deserved because I felt like I was supposed to just be appreciative that they're offering me anything, especially because it was kind of feast or famine. I was excited to be offered a full-time job. So I just felt like I had to kind of take whatever they offered. Yeah. But I don't think that my male colleagues felt that way. Well, and 
yeah, I, I think that you're right. And on the one hand, I've definitely counter offered and had to, to varying degrees of success. And but no one has ever been like, not going to hire. That. Right. But I've also heard women spoken about um, that where people were like, yeah, they asked for this much. So like, we didn't hi- we we didn't want to hire them or like we don't want to bring them back or whatever mm. and i don't ever hear those stories like i've never heard this man asked for too much in his rider right ever except except like maybe like a kooky story like huh weird did you know that you know uh whoever um gabriel iglesias always wanted a limo even when he wasn't famous huh. <laughs> weird is that That's true? Not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie and Laurie talked about it on their podcast. Okay. Right. Um, but it's never like, yeah, if a how woman, gross of him. Disgusting. Right. Who does he think he is? Like, Which that's is just, how it would be if there was a it woman. Is. Yeah. Who wanted yeah. a limo before. It would be, she should be embarrassed. Yeah. And she's disgusting. Yeah. Like, it's the shame thing that mm-hmm. they try to put on us. It's not, it's very weird. Um, but so it. I think that to be a successful woman in a lot of fields, in a lot of ways, you just have to kind of be okay with being disliked and knowing that there, that, you know, that is not who you actually are and not how you actually work with people and how you actually affect the people. Like I have a lot of people who I work for, who work for me, who I work alongside, who love and respect me, but there are for sure tons of people who think I'm a difficult bitch. Mm -hmm. And like that, if I spent all my days worrying about that, that would, it would kill me. I, I remember talking to my, one of my agents one time and I was like, I'm just, I feel like I'm in this terrible situation and I'm just trying to get through it and like figure out my way around it without them thinking that I'm a total cunt. I'm sorry. I'm swearing a lot. In your no, podcast. that's fine. Okay. I use that word all the time. Good. I prefer it. Um, to my <laughs> name. No. Um, <laughs> like, I don't want them to think I'm a total cunt. And she was like, Eliza, they're going to think you're a cunt no matter what you do no matter how nice you are, no matter what you say, oh, I no like matter this agent. anything, they're going to call you a cunt. So you have to just do whatever you want to do and never think about that. Oh, that's such good And I advice. was like, fuck yeah, me too. Like, it's going to take a lot for her to ever, <laughs> for me to ever not want to work with her right. because of that moment a lot. Um, I was like, she gets it and she's right. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I think about that frequently that like they're, they're just, they're going to say that about us. That's so So wise. if you know that, now what? What do you want to do with your life, with your day, with your career? Because that part's not going to change. That's so smart. Because I've definitely made the mistake on projects of, because I'm always a like, I want to be seen as easy to work with, agreeable, pleasant, all, good girl, all those things. And it really hurt me on a project where I basically um i had my feelings about how it was a it was a tv thing and i had my feelings about and it was like my thing and i had my feelings about how it should go but i deferred to the people who had more experience um be, oh they well they you know i'm i'm a newbie they know how it it goes and i want to be agreeable and cooperative and then i was not happy with how it ended up and it didn't you know, and nothing really came of it. And I, that was a huge, like a very valuable learning experience for me that mm-hmm. wanting to be likable and liked is not, uh, is not helping me out in this type of job. Yeah. I, I'd still struggle with it. I think everybody struggles with it. Yeah. Um, 
that you know how how is everybody feeling about me? Did I make them mad? Blah, blah, blah. But in those situations, I think there is a tenuous, like a fine line that you have to walk between being an upstart and um, and the sticking to your ideas, but also knowing that people have learned things that they had opportunities to learn things that you haven't had the opportunity to learn yet right. and taking advantage of those. And I think that's a hard balance to know when to pull which lever mm-hmm. um, because yeah, people will constantly be like, you can't do that. That's not how it's done. That's n- it, it's not how it works. Um, and then the person who does it that way anyway, or finds the way to make it work anyway is the person who changes everything and becomes wildly successful. Right. So we want to be that person. But also there are people who are so who limit themselves by what they're what they've already experienced mm-hmm. and are like I want it to be totally me. This is my idea. And so I also like I think have had a beneficial experience in being on all sides of that as a producer, as a writer, as a performer. And so I can see like okay there are reasons that those things can't happen and there's a reason that we'd and here are the things that have that and and when i'm in the position to be making all of the decisions i want to learn i want to take all of that information and be able to have access to it and then make my decisions mm-hmm. and i've definitely worked with people who are like i don't want it i'm just going to do what i want to do and it's like okay uh you know, you, we, we've got yeah, we've got this instructor here to teach you how to drive a car. But if you think you just instinctually know it, <laughs> right, it seems dangerous to me. But okay, go for it. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. You you kind of can't be dogmatic in either direction. It's it, it is all very situational. Yeah, yeah, and I for me, I think as I said, I I try to collect as much experience and ideas from the people from people that I respect and surround me with those surround myself with those type of people and then use that to filter decisions through Mm -hmm. let's do uh, a segment called just me or everyone this is where people write in with things they think or do and they wonder is it just me or is it everyone but first I need to talk to you guys about the quip (laughs) toothbrush One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. Have you seen the Quip toothbrush before? I haven't. I've heard about it on podcasts. It's very cool looking. It is. It is very cool. I believe I read somewhere that it's like the iPhone of uh, toothbrushes. And the thing that I love about it is that it really is sensitive um the first time i used it like i was you like can talk to it yeah <laughs> it really gets me <laughs> i feel like it gets me um the first time i used it i was like oh this isn't isn't uh vibrating as vigorously as i'm used to but then i was shocked that my teeth felt super clean so i like that that it doesn't it's it's gentle, but it's very, very effective. It has sensitive sonic vibrations, gentle enough on your sensitive gums, um, and brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. It has a multi-use cover, so you can mount it to your mirror, um, so it doesn't take up much space at all. Uh, I love Quip because it'll change how you brush your teeth. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash Rosen right now, uh, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Rosen. 
getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Rosen. Okay, let's do just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, Quinton says, I always sing lock the taskbar like rock the casbah. I love that and I will do that now. I did not previously do that. Yeah, I, I, that's not one that I do. But I like it. Christina says, does anyone else ever hear someone say, okay, so, but all you hear is queso instead? <laughs> no. No, but also now I will hear oh, that. queso. Yeah, I like mm. that. Um, oh, a lot of musical ones. It's perfect for you. Great. Uh, Supermana says, when Allison does the ad for Quip, I sing, quip it, quip it good. <laughs> <laughs> I am easily amused. <laughs> Uh, okay, Bruised by Dawn says, whenever I visit someone that has a dog, I always end up missing mine. Yeah, I kind of always miss my dog, but I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know, I think I enjoy other people's dogs. Yeah, I I do end up feeling a little like I'm cheating on my pet with other pets. Yes. Like, it's not that I, I've got a cat, and it's not that I, I miss him, but I'm like, it's okay, I have this relationship with this other cat, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't affect the one at home. It's okay that I that me and this dog are like... We've got something special. Right. I also, I do think it's weird when people, the way that people um, will connect with a dog and not the owner. <laughs> yes. Like w- w- if you see a dog on the street, you'll try to like make friends with the dog, but you have no interest in the mm-hmm. owner. And I feel like people kind of have this feeling like this dog knows me. Like it, like, like that you're important to the dog. Like the owner is the, that dog's primary relationship. Right. But we'll still kind of fool ourselves into being like, no, we have something special. Mm-hmm. That was a special petting just now. He gets me. I just think it's weird. Yeah. I do remember before I had a dog, I felt this way both with dogs and with babies, like being very self-aware of my interactions with dogs and babies. And this makes me sound like such a non-authentic person. And I want to be authentic. But (laughs) but like feeling like they're like, I hope they notice how much I'm taking to their dog and I hope how much I'm taking to their baby. Yeah. The adults are owners. Yes. (laughs) Oh, like why? Why did you want them to notice? I don't know. Like I accept your choice to have a dog or baby, or like I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. Oh, okay, I'm a nice okay, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look how much your baby likes me and your dog likes me and stuff. Whereas now it's like, as someone who owns both a dog and a baby, I realized that. Well, it. I was going to say it's not really about the other person. Like my dog just kind of is the way she is, and my baby just kind of is the way he is. That being said, both of them can be very shy. Mm-hmm. So if there are people that they take to right away, it, it does, it is unusual. I've just undermined my entire point. I have a, so a lot of people don't like cats. A lot of dudes don't like cats. So when my I My producer would, loves cats. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them again. But uh, so when I would bring a guy home, uh, one of the my horrible manipulative tricks is um, when my cat is aggressively friendly and loves everyone like too much, like he immediately wants to sit on you and smell you and tell you everything about himself. And I'm all, I always go, Oh my God, he likes you. (laughs) He doesn't usually (laughs) do that. And they're like, Oh really? And then they like my cat and that problem's off the table. (laughs) You appeal um, to their ego. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you have a special relationship with my cat. (laughs) I believe it. 
well, for anyone who's listening, who's like, she said that about me and Wendy. Wendy's our dog. No, it was unusual <laughs> that Wendy <laughs> let you pet her right away. Uh, Wessums says, sometimes when I really have to pee, my teeth tingle. Weird. I've not felt that. Yeah. But I do get the like, if I really have to pee and I sort of almost like do a kegel, then like a, a there's a weird feeling that like shoots up in hmm. my, do you ever, it like shoots up from my like urethra to bladder, I guess. Huh. No, I have not experienced either of those. And the teeth tingling thing makes me feel like, like that's like the beginning of some sort of black mirror where we find out that they've got a chip in them. Yes. Yes. Pay attention to when. When that happens, mm-hmm. Night Cloud says, I have a bunch of albums in my music library that I don't like very much, but find myself trying to listen and understand their appeal due to how famously popular they are or were. Example, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. I remember feeling that way about Pet Sounds. And mm. I know that's sacrilege. And I actually now, I, you know, I like that album. But at the time, I was into stuff that had a much bigger more raw punk sound and it just was like it felt like a small i mean i know that it was revolutionary but because of what they were able to do in the studio and everything but it felt like a small gentle album to me and it just that wasn't the sound that i liked And i'm like i don't get it with this album i'm really not into people telling people that they are wrong Mm -hmm. about music if you don't like it you don't like it yeah but i'm also really into the idea of revisiting music and you know, giving it another chance or finding out if you have a different relationship with it because of, yeah, stuff like that, Pet Sounds experience you had. Right. And, uh, yeah, I've had bands like that where I'm like, oh, they don't do much for me and then listen to them again later and I'm like, what? This is yeah. like, like I think Joni Mitchell when I was a kid, uh-huh. I was like, her voice is too high. And then as a young adult was like, but everything she says is perfect and her voice is perfect. <laughs> um, and similarly with like Kate Bush, I was like, she's a weirdo and then was like, she's me. Um, <laughs> And so I, th- I, so I, if it's you wanting to revisit it and go get back, give it another chance, great. But if it's you feel like you're supposed Should. to because someone else said that, yeah, fuck that. Go listen to the music you like yeah. to. It's we got one life. This is it. And it, that it's such a stupid thing to judge people about or, or have opinions about people about. I think. Do you make earnest music? Yeah, I do. I don't release it, <laughs> but like, yeah, and and I think that's kind of what's different about my the comedy music that I make and the and my improvised stuff is that all of it is a little bit earnest. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I find exciting and an interesting challenge to make something funny, but also a real raw, true thing. When I used to teach musical improv, one of my favorite days, and I think my students' favorite days, but some of them probably hated it, was I would after we had been learning about song structure and getting used to making up songs, I would have them each sing a song about something that was very important to themselves in front of the class. Uh, And I would say, you know, I can't reach in your brain and tell you what to sing about. So keep yourself safe, but you try to risk something. Um, And some of my students would call it crying day. A lot of people cry, (laughs) but they were also the best songs that where they weren't, where it was just like coming from this place inside of themselves where like we as human beings just like know music Mm -hmm. and know how music reflects emotions. Um, And yeah, so that's, I like getting a little bit of that into the comedy stuff too, Mm because I think that's, it appeals to all of our guts and keeps you locked in. Right. 
Lee Brun says, still confused that a snack called Snickerdoodles contains no Snickers nor Snicker-like ingredients. Who names these things? I feel like Snickerdoodles predate Snickers. Yeah. I'm going to guess. I bet you're right. So I think Snickers is really the the culprit here. Right. The That's who we guy. should be mad at. Yeah. Where's the cinnamon in Snickers? I know I'm going to get shit for saying this, but I don't like Snickers very much. I recently tweeted that I don't need whole peanuts in my candy. <laughs> and a lot of people, including whoever runs the Mr. Peanut account. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's that's an uppity nut. <laughs> it took me to task for that, but I just, I prefer a, I'm fine with a nougat base. I'm See, fine. No, you're like not there's, into nougat? No, there's too much. What Nougat is a waste of time as far as I'm concerned. I, I feel, I, I hear you. Like it's but, filler. It's filler. It's filler sweet. Yeah, I know. I do. This was around Halloween, but like I had a little, the fun size um, three Musketeers or See, Milky three Way. Musket- and I'm like, those are good. Okay. Well, Three Musketeers, I almost don't count as nougat. I know it is, but it's like chocolate it's, nougat. Right. So that's right. good. Um, and Milky Way, I'm there for the caramel. Mm-hmm. But in Snickers, I feel like you're right. The, you don't really get the, the effect of the caramel because you got all the peanuts in the way. Yeah. Too much uh, uh, nougat. I'm not a fan either. And si- similarly, Baby Ruth. Too no, much nuts. That's a, I mean, that's just a waste of time. Yeah. I'm not going to fuck around with a Baby Ruth. Come on. Snapchat. I think that's, a Zagnut, maybe, but that's a whole. That's more of a Butterfinger. We're going in a whole different direction oh, I there. I don't know if I've even had a Zagnut. It's basically a Butterfinger without the chocolate, but also it's vegan, which is weird. What co- does it have a coating? It's is it it's, white? No, it's like a red coconut thing. It's very weird. I've got to get my hands on a Zagnut. Try a Zagnut. Have you had a Charleston chew? Oh, you won't like that. Well, you might like Are more than me. It's all nougat. It? It's just oh. just straight up nougat. With chocolate or no? Wrapped in chocolate. But also... I don't... I'm saying I'm okay with nougat. I don't love nougat. I'm I, not a nougat head. <laughs> I'm more interested in nougat if it's been refrigerated so it gets hard. Okay. Then I'm like... Oh, we're doing something different here. But right. I think it's just really kind of a novelty at that point. Right. Where are you with like Kit Kat or Twix? Nah. Nah. They don't do it for me. Uh, and want- and I like a wafer chocolate. But Kit Kat has got too much chocolate around it. Okay. So you don't get the effect of the... Like they're they're misusing the wafer technology. <laughs> in right. Um, and Twix, I'm not so... I don't like a cookie based. Okay. Or do, do you... What about like, Caramello? Caramello? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. What's your Rolos? Like, Rolos, yeah, we're getting closer with Rolos. I like um I like the peace style candies. Okay. So M and M's, meh, whatever. Junior mints, yes. Mm-hmm. Um Reese's Pieces, definitely yes. Uh Smarties, which are the UK version of um or also in Canada version of M and M's because they've got like a harder candy shell oh, and it's better chocolate. Okay. It's also the the problem with a lot of chocolate bars and sweets around it's low co- quality chocolate. Yeah. If it's just if we if they had it if they made any of the the candy bars we've mentioned with like really good chocolate, they'd be a delight. What's your favorite kind of chocolate? Dark, which I know makes me a witch. <laughs> no, it just makes you I feel like more gets, sophisticated. You get more. You get more taste for your 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 punch. Do you have a favorite uh, brand though? Mm, do I? No, I like Lint a lot. I drunkenly tweeted at them once, and they ended up sending me a box of stuff and inviting How me nice. to a luncheon. Oh my yeah. god, did you go? I did. What happened at the Lint luncheon? It was at the it was at the Mondrian at the Sky Bar, and it was a bunch of um, a bunch of influencers and oh my me. God. So it was a lot of ladies from orange county 
taking photos of their of their food and their chocolates and i was like huh weird and i just ate it all um but that was yeah that's i do like it's a heady times yeah i like lint i like um uh you know those square ones that they would have by like the gas by, by the checkout yes there's some kind of ritter thing yeah ritter sport yeah um, I really like the ones with marzipan inside of them. Mm, There's yes. a few different ones. Those are, I've, those are pretty I good. I had those during my last pregnancy. That was a pregnancy World thing? Market oh. has... Well, they got the little ones. Yeah. Yeah. Candy. Candy is a pregnancy thing. So... Yeah. <laughs> um, Any candy? You don't have like, well, this baby was fruity and this one was chocolate. It's more like in... No, I'm not... I've never really been into fruity candy. Well, it's kind of... Well, maybe that's not true. It's more like... When I'm pregnant, I'm just like, I, I, I get whatever I want. <laughs> I allow myself to, to indulge in stuff more. Um, so yeah, I've, I've never really got, had strong chocolate cravings, but this pregnancy, I have found myself craving chocolate. I know that makes me, most people, it seems, I feel like everyone I know is super into chocolate all the time. Um, I just usually am not really, but I have been of late. No, yeah, I think there's that's true of a lot of people. I think people feel the same way about an, liking animals. I think they like there's this idea that everybody likes animals, right? So my friends who don't like animals are like, oh, this is, well, I don't like animals. But I do feel that way about people who don't like animals. Like, really? <laughs> How can you not like it? What's wrong with your heart? <laughs> you know, so they're in other things. Yeah, Ray Morgan says. Uh, I'm just gonna say this is just you, Ray. Growing yeah. up, I didn't know a fr. Is it frigate or frigate? I didn't know a frigate, frigate must be yeah. I didn't know a frigate was a ship. I thought it was my mom's nice way of saying "fuck it." So much going on here. I don't think most people hear about frigates. That no, often. I Is think this it's like a, a navy family or something. I don't know. I know there's a poem. I don't. It might be Emily Dickinson that has the word frigate in it. But but she yeah. is swearing in that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, yeah, I just the fact that your mom used that word is cool. <laughs> and I and I and we need to know why. Okay. Mm-hmm. And lastly, Becky Milner says, when I mail an envelope, I have to put it into the mailbox with the address side up. I couldn't drop it in with the flap side up. Hashtag weird postage OCD. Uh, I have never thought about that, Mm-mm. but I do the same thing. Well, I feel like it's a last minute check in. Yeah. Like, okay, it's got totally. all the stuff on it. I wrote all the things and stamped it. Okay, we'll buy. Right. Like if I just flipped it over. I don't know. That's a that's a that would be a bold move. I think yeah. just flipping it over, being like, "Of course, I'm a genius. I did it all right the first time." It is. There's a lot of pressure dropping something into a mailbox. Yeah, you can't get it back out. Right. This and the, especially, yeah, a mailbox like at the post office. You could be like, "Excuse me, I made mm-hmm. a mistake. Can you get right. the thing?" They're probably not supposed to give it to you, but you no, could be like, "I could." Yeah, like, look, you can see I didn't write an address. I yeah. just said, "Give this to them." So. I need to put an address on there now. I um, I made an online order yesterday of some clothes, and as soon as I like hit the button, I I had already had an account there, so all my information was there, and I like mm-hmm. clicked the button, and then I'm like, oh shit! I just automatically sent it to my old because we just moved to oh, my old right. address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, god damn it. Um. So I'm like, now I've got to use the phone because <laughs> yeah. there was no way to cancel it online. Ah, that's a bummer. So I called someone. I called the the customer service number and I explained it to her. And she, the only way, what she did was reproduce the entire order sent to 
my new address and cancel the old one. But it was weird to me that they couldn't just go in and change the address. It was like three minutes later. Yeah. It was so weird to me that they couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, there are pl- some places you can do that, like Amazon and a couple of other places. If you, if they haven't actually started processing right. the physical stuff, you can change it yourself. And that's probably true of like, first of all, every place should be like that. Yeah. Why not? But yeah, I, I, I bet that like, if you can't change it yourself, then they can't they probably can't yes, either. You're right. That's sort of like when I, when you call an airline or I do this sometimes, like I'll call an airline thinking somehow I'll get better service than the website. Yeah. It's like they have access to the website as well. Yeah. Eliza Skinner, it was so nice getting to know you and having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell everyone um, where they can find you. Plug all your stuff. Uh, I'm on Twitter at at Eliza Skinner. I'm on Instagram at at eSkins because I'm complicated. <laughs> um, and my podcast is Cool Playlist and the website for that is coolplaylistpod.com. Excellent. And you guys, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe uh, everywhere you get podcasts. Also, I have another podcast which just came out. It's called Childish. It's an irreverent parenting podcast for people who are parents or who had parents. And by that, what I mean is you don't have to have kids to listen. I uh, host that with Greg Fitzsimmons. It's called Childish. It is also available everywhere that you can get podcasts. I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and other phrases that scare me. If you go to alisonrosen.com, um, all the info for everything is right there. And oh, yes. And I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rosen is where you go for all sorts of bonus content and whatnot. Patreon. Thank you again for being on the show. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know and Rose and Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go.